So we've come to uh, the next in our series, uh, God Center Community, and the title this morning is Standing Together. And uh, it's a passage from Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 to 16. So I'm going to read the verses. Uh, they'll come up on the screen behind me. This is what it says in the Christian Standard Bible. At Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek. Whilst Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. While Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew tired, grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with a sword. The Lord then said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. He said, indeed, my hand is lifted up towards the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. I don't know uh, about some of you in the 80s. I don't know whether you would remember the name Swampy. Some of you will probably remember the name Swampy. I know the name Swampy because um, I was regularly driving back to Wales and had to drive uh, through Newbury. And at the time, there wasn't a bypass at Newbury. They were looking to construct it. And Swampy was one of the eco-warriors that climbed in trees, chained himself to trees. Loads of people did it. And they stopped and hindered the building of the Newbury bypass. Now, at the time, I was less than sympathetic to uh, their aims. As I'm sitting in traffic, I saw more of Newbury than I ever wanted to. Uh, and I was selfishly relieved when uh, the bypass was finally opened. This week, uh, uh, this last week or so, I don't know if you follow, but in the Queen's speech, uh, uh, the Queen announced a disruption crackdown bill dealing with public order offences. And it's looking to deal with people who are chaining or gluing themselves together or to things. And uh, if you followed what's been happening in the press in the last year, you will know uh, with Extinction Rebellion, all sorts of things happening uh, around the country. Uh, and they're looking to deal with that. You see, the issue is protesters draw strength from others who believe similar things. The same is true of us. You see, the, this common purpose and commitment that's expressed in demonstrations uh, explains why the song, We Shall Not Be Moved, is such a corporate song that people sing in some, such moments. It's popular. You see, difficult times either bring us together or they drive us apart. That's why Churchill's 1940s war speech, calling people to fight on the beaches, landing grounds in the fields and in the streets, had such a profound impact in rallying a country together to, to stand against a formidable enemy. And in this passage, 
This is something of what we're seeing, the call to stand together. God is teaching us the importance of one anothering. You see, the Israelites had escaped slavery. They had seen the destruction of the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. And I think they probably now expected to be left alone. They're two months in and I think they expected just to be left to their own devices. And yet suddenly there is an unprovoked, brutal attack by the Amalekites. You know, for us, we've had the difficulties of two years of COVID. We feel like we're coming out of it. And we feel that we deserve a bit of peace and quiet. And then suddenly around us, we find it all kicks off. People's mental health. People struggling with all sorts of issues that have been caused by the last few years. As a family, we've seen all sorts of stuff happening in family over recent weeks that have been challenging. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, he tells us that these accounts in Exodus of God's people in the wilderness are written as warnings for us to stand firm. They're written for our instruction. Paul says, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. There is something about standing together that is so important. You see, we may think that we live in a much more sophisticated world than uh, the world that Moses wrote about in Exodus chapter 17. But if we do, we are fooling ourselves. Just like the Israelites, we have an age-old enemy. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau. They were distant relatives of the Israelites. Underlying, underlying their hatred of Israel was the refusal to accept the sovereignty of God, of what God had, uh, had ordained between Joseph, uh, Jacob and Esau, two brothers. And God said that the, the younger would serve the older. And the descendants of Esau were kicking against the sovereignty of God. And later we see God's people in the Old Testament at war with the Amalekites, where this animosity that they have, this bitter hatred of God's people, keeps coming up. We see it in the days of King Saul. And then we see it in the days of Queen Esther. And stirring up this animosity is the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people, the devil. And as we get to the New Testament, we see this enemy openly at work. We see him openly at war with Jesus as Jesus is in the wilderness himself for 40 days. The devil comes and severely tests him, wanting him to give up. Wanting him not to stand but to fall. And we see through the rest of the New Testament how the devil comes and opposes the people of God. We are living in days where God's enemy is looking to cause us to give up. What possessed the Amalekites? 
God had single-handedly destroyed the foremost army in the world. And the Israelites hadn't even had to lift a hand. God did it himself. You see, the thing is, for the enemies of God, sin blinds. Sin blinds into fighting against God. And we read in, in Exodus chapter 15 that the Lord is a warrior. God fights for us. And the truth is the devil can't win. And anyone else who's influenced by him and, uh, and uh, hates God's people can't win in the end. We're told uh, uh, in an old, it says in the old Puritan Bible, in the margins, that verse 16 reads that the Amalekites raised a hand against the throne of God. They were shaking their fists at God. They were resisting God and they paid a price. God, just as with the plagues in Egypt, instructs Moses to raise his staff to heaven. Judgment was coming. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? God will bring all to account one day. God brings us to this passage in Rephidim to teach us lessons about standing together in the face of opposition. And the first thing I want to draw out is that Rephidim is a place of testing. Some years ago, I went to uh, what, was what is now Slovakia. I went to Bratislava uh, with uh, a guy that I worked with, and he uh, was doing a lot in uh, Eastern Europe at the time. And we drove into Bratislava, and uh, we, uh, had, we drove in with a car. We had a, obviously had a car, but we didn't have anywhere to stay, so we stayed in uh, a, uh, a youth hostel, and uh, there were two of us, there were three of us together. He was driving the car, and he wanted to find a guy that he'd heard about, a Slovak who was a Christian, who'd started up a church, and he wanted to meet him. Uh, we didn't speak any Slovak, so we're driving. I remember driving around in the dark, dead of night. Uh, it, was a, it was about nine o'clock, and we're driving around, and he's stopping the car every now and again, and he has a name uh, written on a piece of paper. This guy, that's all he's got is his name. So uh, Bratislava is a big city. So we're literally driving around, and he's asking people, do you know this name? He doesn't speak any Slovak, so he's just going, do you know... And he's pointing at this bit of paper. I'm, I, I'm in the back. I'm going, what on earth are we doing? Why are we here? Why are we here? Amazingly, I'm, so as I'm saying this, I'm, uh, the, fr the friend uh, I'm with is saying that. So we're going, what are we doing? Uh, and he says, Lord Jesus, please help us find. And then mentions the guy's name. And I, I'm like, and then suddenly we stop the car. He gets out and he says, says to someone, do you know? And he points at the piece of paper and the guy goes, oh. And we end up meeting this young man. Incredible. The next morning we're together and we're praying together. And he, he, he prophesies over him and he says, God wants to tell you, he says that there's, there's two enemies coming. There's one that's in your church and there's one that's outside. And God says they're going to be fierce attacks, but he wants you to know that he has got you and he's got you safe. We left him. We went back to the UK. 
didn't have any contact. He didn't have any contact with that guy. And you think, what was that all about? We drove to Bratislava. What on earth was that about? And then several years later, out of the blue, he got an email from this guy. He said, I, I just want to tell you, I, I just want to tell you what happened. When you left afterwards, in the months afterwards, there was someone in the church that came and uh, caused huge disruption. And then there was someone from outside who came and caused huge And he said, if, you, if, you, if I hadn't had that prophetic word, I would have given up. The devil within and the devil without. Within weeks of their miraculous exodus from Egypt, the Israelites had they'd forgotten all that God had done. On arriving at Rephidim, they found there was no water to drink. And you can read that in the first seven verses. And their hearts hadn't changed. Nothing had changed inside. They were still grumbling and quarreling with Moses. Is the Lord among us or not? You see, the enemy always surfaces when things don't go to plan. But this time Moses thinks that they're going to stone him. God uses desert seasons to test what's going on in our heart. He's training us. Opposition is a place of learning. It's in desert times that God demonstrates his special care for us. That's what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 1. But the sad thing, all that happens in desert times for us is that we test God. He wants to test our heart, but we end up testing him. You see, pressure, the pressure we find ourselves under exposes what's really going on in our heart attitude. What's going on in your heart at the moment? You're under, under pressure. What's coming out of your mouth? Despite all this, God still provides water for them. And as they rest, Amalek comes spoiling for a fight. Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator, says this. They had been quarreling with Moses. Now God sends the Amalekites to quarrel with them. It's the enemy without. It's a full frontal assault to try and destroy the people of God. The truth is, unexpected battles are a part of life. In Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul is talking about this, Paul says, he doesn't say, if the day of evil comes, stand firm. He says, when the day of evil comes, stand firm. Each one of us will experience the day of evil, where we feel like the enemy is, uh, has come and there's a full frontal assault on our faith, and we feel like giving up. And Paul says, stand Jesus promises we'll face troubles, hardships, persecution as his followers. But he promises that we, he will never leave us. He'll be with us to the very end of the age. That's what he says. Are you in a season where the enemy is trying to destroy your faith? Maybe he's using family situations to gather us. Maybe it's work situations that seem, feels like, you, you're just under intense pressure. Maybe it's relational challenges. 
We need to, in those moments to remember our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities behind. Behind the Amalekites, there was an enemy who wanted to destroy God's people, who was stirring them up. So our battle, we need to see, is not against people, but the forces behind. We mustn't be surprised, Peter says, at the fiery trial that we're facing, as if it's some sort of strange thing that's happening. He promises that the people of God will experience such seasons. So what's our place of testing? What's causing us to quarrel or grumble? Are we harping back to the good old days of pre-COVID? Maybe we're feeling overwhelmed by the enemy's attacks. Maybe we've forgotten past deliverances of God, just like the Israelites. Two months earlier, great deliverance. They seem to have forgotten all about that. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 to, eight, verses 17 to 18, tells us that the Amalekite strategy was to pick out off those on the fringes who are weary and worn out. I want you to listen to this. The devil we're told in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, prowls looking for those he can devour. He's looking for those on the fringes, those who are grumbling and complaining are vulnerable. Once you start to isolate yourself from the people of God, once you start to drift, once you start to pull away and your, uh, things in your heart start to bubble up, you are vulnerable. God doesn't want that for us. We, many of us have been struggling with the return to in-person church. I want to say, even if you're watching on the recording of this, when we're on the fringes, we are at our most vulnerable. We're in danger of being picked off. Just like coals coming out of a fire, losing their heat and growing cold. We are called to be those who love God with all our heart and soul and mind and to love others as we love ourselves. We need to draw near to God and draw near to each other. And we need to encourage each other to do that, reminding ourselves and reminding one another of God's goodness. We need to resist the devil, standing firm together by drawing on God's grace. Rephidim is a place of testing. Rephidim is a place of faith. This is what Peter ends in his commentary on Exodus says. The desert is a difficult time for the Israelites. It's easy to condemn them as faithless, but I suspect that many of us would not have fared much better. In desert times... All we can do with so little to sustain us is to trust God. It's hard to do, okay? Because faith isn't passive. Faith involves us doing something. It involves us doing something that shows that we trust God. It's not let go and let God. That is not a biblical principle. God doesn't call us to sit around doing nothing. 
He calls us to exercise faith. So even when the children of Israel went through the Red Sea and they didn't have to fight the Egyptian army, they still had to walk through a wall of water on either side. How challenging was that for them? Now they are called to fight. This is the first time that they're called to fight and they're not used to it. You see, if we want to do anything for God, there will always be opposition. There will always be a Goliath for a David. There will always be an Alexander the metal worker for someone like Paul. There will always be those who are looking to do us down and do us harm. Moses instructs Joshua, who is now we now see is the military leader of God's people. He says, choose some men and lead them to fight. These people were a rabble. They weren't an army. But Joshua is called, turn them, okay, gather people, gather some men and go and fight. He said, Moses says, and I'm going to go up the mountain with the staff. Now, I don't know about you in that moment. I think if I was Joshua, I'd have gone, I'll tell you what, Moses, I'll go up the mountain with the staff and you go out and fight with that rabble. <laughs> I don't think I would have been so keen, but Joshua just does it. By faith, he does it. So why does Moses stand on the mountain with the staff of God? Previously, it had been called Moses' staff. Now it's called the staff of God. What's going on? It's a reminder. It's a reminder to us of how God parted the Red Sea when Moses lifts his staff, uses the staff. It's a reminder to them of how God uh, uh, caused water to come out of the rock at Rephidim some days earlier by striking the rock and water poured out. They knew that there was something about the staff of God that released the power of God and the promises of God. The staff represents God's covenant promises. The Bible is full of great and precious promises to those who've put their trust in Jesus. And as we go out to fight, as we live our daily lives, as we take steps of faith, we believe that there is a God who has made promises over us who will never break his word. Faith involves action by us and action by God. And in Colossians chapter 1 verse 29, this is, Paul expresses this. He says, I labor... I labor struggling with all his energy which works so powerfully in me. As we take steps of faith, God's Holy Spirit comes and empowers us and equips us to press through. Rephidim is a place of faith. Lastly, Rephidim is a place of prayer. I read this story, I, I think it was of the American Civil War. And uh, in one of the battles, there's a story that's told of uh, the, uh, the flag 
uh, of, the, of this one particular side, the flag that was the rallying point for the troops has fallen. And uh, a captain is saying to troops, uh, sending men to go and hold the, put the flag back up. It's the flag was a key thing in the battle. For your flag to fall was, was not good. People needed to know that, uh, that, that you were still fighting and, uh, uh, and that the flag was standing. And as the flag stood, it stood that you hadn't, you hadn't lost the battle. So when the flag fell, it was an important moment. And so soldiers were going, they were being killed. And then uh, the, a young man comes to the commander and he says, he says, I will go and put that flag up, but I won't go until four o'clock. And the commander says, why is that? He said, because my mother has promised to pray for me for, and she starts at that hour. And at that, at that hour, he goes, he puts the flag back up and comes back. He's able to do it. His mother was praying for him. You see, I'm not sure in the moment that Joshua saw the connection between victory and Moses holding up the staff. Yet to us, it's so clear. It's written there for us. The Israelites are only winning as Moses holds up the staff. When his hands drop, the Amalekites have the advantage. So is this about prayer? Prayer isn't mentioned in these verses. And some would say it isn't. But just because it doesn't mention that Moses is praying, it doesn't mean that he isn't praying. Later, in verse 15, Moses builds an altar, but there's no mention of a sacrifice. Well, the whole purpose of an altar was a sacrifice. It's quite clear that there was a sacrifice. Moses sacrificed on the altar. That was the point of an altar. In the same way as Moses lifts up his hands, I think we can know that it's about prayer. You see, in the Old Testament, the raising of hands is a posture for intercessory prayer. It says this in Psalm 63, verse 4. So I will bless you as long as, as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. In the New Testament, Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. We lift our hands and our prayers to God. It shows our trust in the only source of strength for us as God's people. Prayer is a key, but a key uh, issue for us in the spiritual battle we find ourselves in. The battle does belong to the Lord. But we don't just sit around praying. Our, rather, our faith-filled actions are to be soaked in prayer. For us, our challenge is not to be passive or to be prayerless. I think that's a real challenge for us. We're people who love, some of us just love, some of us just love doing things. Some of us just love being busy doing things, but we're not too keen on prayer. Some of us love praying, but don't like doing anything. God is calling us to be a people of action and prayer. Some of you 
will be better at doing stuff and others will be better at praying. But actually, together, as the people of God, we have a, we have a battle to fight. Matthew Henry said this, We don't find that Joshua's hands were heavy in fighting. He seems, we don't have any mention of Joshua's arms getting tired, wielding his sword. But Moses' hands were heavy in praying, Matthew Henry says. And then he goes on to say this, the more spiritual any service is, the more apt we are to flag and fail in it. Prayer is a real battleground for us. We struggle with prayer. Jesus encourages us to pray and not give up in Luke chapter 18. We are called to pray continually. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. In the midst of long spiritual battles, we easily tire in prayer. How many of you feel that you're in a long spiritual battle and you just feel weary, you feel like giving up? Well, we're in good company. Jesus' disciples... On the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the Mount of Oz, Jesus goes to pray and he says to his disciples, stay and pray with me. And they fall asleep. He is sweating drops of blood because he knows what's about to happen the next day. He knows that he's going to bear our sin, our wrongdoing, that we might be restored to relationship with God. He knew the battle that was about to come and he is, uh, his soul is in anguish. And the disciples fall asleep. They can't stay awake with, for him for one hour. Just as Moses needed the support of Aaron and Hur to hold up his arms until victory was achieved, so we need others to support us in prayer. I mean, the Holy Spirit helps us, we're told, in our weakness. But prayer is a corporate battle. This is a corporate battle, one that we fight together. Martin Luther said this, At home in my own house there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. For us, is prayer a priority and a passion? Or is it just something that gets lost in a busy week? On the ground, the Israelites fought hard. But there was an ebb and flow. So, does this mean that when we don't pray, we, we lose spiritual battles? Does that mean we feel like we're losing the battle at the moment? Does that mean we're not praying hard enough? Well, it may be. It may be have a connection with prayer. But effective prayer is never fear-driven and legalistic. If I don't pray, God won't bless me. We are saved by grace. The difference is one, I can best explain it by this. On D-Day, it's an illustration you will have heard many times. On D-Day, the bridgehead into Europe was established. The victory was really won on D-Day. Because it was from that moment, it was certain that final victory will be achieved. But there were many, many months of battles. Many lives were lost until V-Day. We live somewhere between that, between Jesus' victory on the cross, which was our D-Day, 
and final victory day when Jesus returns. And we live in the midst where victory is certainly assured, but there are battles along the way. It's said of the Punic Wars between the Phoenicians and the Romans, but the, that the Phoenicians won the battles, but the Romans won the war. Sometimes it feels like we've lost battles, but we will win the war. Jesus is victorious. Joshua's victory was achieved on the mountain. And our ultimate victory was won by Christ as he is raised up with his hands, hands, arms outstretched to heaven on the cross for us. As someone said, the battle takes place in the valley, but victory is secured on the mountain. Jesus is a better Moses. Moses prayed for the Israelites. Jesus is, we're told, is our great intercessor. He ever lives to intercede for us. In the heat of battle, Jesus interceded for Peter on the night that he was betrayed. Peter can't pray. Jesus prays for him. He says, uh, he says to Peter, Satan has sought to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. Peter lost the battle. But the war was won because Jesus was interceding for him. Then Peter was restored. Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. Verse 16 can literally read this. A hand was on the Lord's throne. A hand was on the Lord's throne. It's an encouragement for us. As the writer of Hebrews says... To come to the throne of grace with confidence and assurance, knowing that God hears our cries. So as we draw to a conclusion, we read that Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is our banner. It's a covenant name of God. He is the God who supports us. That's what it means. God, the God who is over us and protects us. God is our standard, our rallying point. His banner over us is love. There is a standard that's stuck for us on the cross that will never fall. And when we're in the heat of battle, when we feel like we, we've lost battles and we're struggling and maybe we're feeling isolated, maybe we're feeling on the fringes, maybe we're battling coming out of COVID, whatever it is, we need to return to the banner. We need to return to the standard. It's there at the cross that we find our marching orders. There we regroup, there we re-energize. God is calling us to be a people who gather to his name. We may have lost battles, but we keep pressing on as the war is won. We're going to respond to God right now. I'm going to ask the band to come and join me. But in this moment, some of you, I know, it's touched a nerve. You feel isolated. You've struggled. The battle has been fierce and you feel like you've been losing, been losing your way. 
You feel distant maybe from the people of God. Maybe you've started to doubt the promises of God. Yes, I know Jesus died for me, but so what? My life's a mess. This is a moment to return to the banner. This is a moment to regroup. This is a moment to return. And if that's you right now, I just love you. Just to where you are is a sign that you know that God's speaking to you in this moment. Whatever the issue is, just want you to stand right where you are. There are loads of you, I know, who are going through battles at the moment. Many of them I know what they are. Some of them I have no idea. But if that's you, just right now, where you are, where you're to stand. Just going to give you a moment to do that. Don't miss this moment. In this moment, you're not on your own. And as a sign that you're not on your own, I just love anyone around you who sees someone standing. I'd just like you to, as we're going to sing a song of worship, but as later, like just come stand next to them. Aaron and her stood next to Moses in the battle. So, as we stand, just maybe, just people just, just gather around. We're, we're going to sing together and worship together. But as you're doing that, you can be praying for these people. Make sure there's, some, there's someone around. Just Some of you might need to move a bit just to get closer to, to someone who's standing on their own. We want to make sure that there's no one on their own in this moment. It's really important. Symbolic. It's a symbolic moment, okay? Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you are our great banner. We thank you that you are the great victor. We trust in you. And I pray that you would come and meet with these people. May they know that you have not forgotten them or abandoned them. And that your victory is ultimately secure, whatever the battle is going on. And even if we feel like we've lost battles, thank you that the victory is secure in heaven. Lord Jesus, come and meet with people right now.